0: All right guys, thanks so much for being here. uh, Yeah, okay, all right. Yes, thank you Mikey. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Jamie, you're gonna have to cut this out whenever you get a chance. Jamie, feel free to cut this out whenever you get to this point in the recording. (laughs) But thank you, guys. I really do appreciate that. Um, My wife bought and lovingly encouraged me to wear this shirt from SpongeBob. It's like 25, baby. So I'm really excited. But yeah, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Christian Farr. Um, I'm a second year intern with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries here at Sam. Right? Eat them up, cats. Harvard of the South. Harvard of the the South. South. So I want to tell you guys a bit more about me, but before I do, I actually want to gauge the room. Um, who in here is a small group leader, either student or staff? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Who in here is a, just a student? Maybe you're in small group, maybe you're in Chi Alpha or not Chi Alpha.
1: You're
0: a student Yeah, basically, thank you. Okay, cool, who is going through LTC? Okay, awesome, right on. So I asked that question because this lesson is going to hit on a lot of different things that affect each of us differently, depending on where we're at, right? And where we're coming from. So I just want to get that out of the way and know where everyone's coming from with that. So yeah, I'm a second year staff member with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. A little bit about me. I'm married to my beautiful wife, right? Madison Farr. Uh, I am from a small country town called Columbus, Texas. If you've never heard of it don't worry about it no one has no one knows about columbus except for real ones but when i came here i transferred here as a student i was pursuing a bachelor's in human resource management and for me i wanted the nine to five job living in a middle class suburbs serving the church on the side right the middle class american christian dream i guess you could call it all of that changed because jesus decided to intervene in different ways uh, two of those were Jamaeus Williams and our very own Zachary Walker, yeah. who I met these guys first worship night of the semester, fall 2018, and they became my small group leaders, but more importantly, they became my best friends, yeah. right? Um, in that time that I walked life with them, I saw how they had such a burden yeah. for other people around them to know Jesus, and that burden naturally flowed over to me. So I became really passionate about teaching others about Jesus and more specifically about discipleship. Uh, I'd love to tell you more about that passion, but before I do, I think it'd be cool if we went into some more fun facts, if you guys are okay with that. Yeah. do will go with that? Fun so fun fact about me, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I love anime, video games, uh, comics, all that stuff, but I'm also a huge Houston sports fan, right? So H-Town. So, I'm thriving as an Astros fan, (laughs) Zach, dang it. Thriving as an Astros fan right now, I'm weeping as a Texans fan, but we'll get there, right Craig? Uh, Dynamo fan, I don't even know what to say, but my favorite sport above all is basketball. I love the pacing, I love the jersey and sneaker designs because I think they're so fresh and clean. Um, I love the history. So growing up as a fan of Houston sports and a basketball fan, you can imagine my team was the Houston Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. right? So I grew up loving guys like Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady. Uh, when I got into high school and college, I enjoyed James Harden and Chris Paul. Yeah, fear the beard. So even if we're not doing too great right now, to give you context, we uh, are currently sitting at last place in the NBA, dead last. Um, yeah we can only go up right but it's funny because this isn't actually the worst team that the rockets has ever had right the worst team that the rockets ever had was the 1998 houston rockets now if you know basketball you're saying two things that makes zero sense because of the guys in the picture and we'll talk more about them later or that makes all the sense in the world because you know what i'm getting to When you look back at the history of NBA basketball, there's these weird times where management will pour in millions of dollars to form a big three, right? It's like, how can we get three of the top 10 best players and put them on a super team so they just dominate the league? Yeah. Right? What ends up happening, though, is sometimes the best teams in the league end up being the worst. Mm -hmm. And that was the case with the 98 Rockets. So let's look at this picture, okay? We have Charles Barkley Mm -hmm. in the... My right, uh, Hakeem, the dream Olajuwon, one of my favorite players of all time in the middle, and then Scottie Pippen on the left. So what you're looking at is three Hall of Famers with 30 all-star nominations, two MVP awards, and eight championships between them. That's crazy, right? Here's what's crazier. They did none of that together. All of this happened before this season. That's why they were put together because you take three of the best players and you see what happens. But what should have been a super contender and what should have led to at least one championship run, nothing happened. Here's why. Uh, Scotty Pippen, guy number 33 right there, he knew what it took to win, right? He won six championships in eight years. He played with Michael Jordan, right? One of the GOATs. Um, And he was considered one of the best players in the league in his own regard the issue was he was unavailable to the role that the team wanted him to play he was used to being the number two guy right he wanted to be the number one guy they wanted him to be a little bit more of a role player they wanted him to facilitate the ball down the court he was unteachable because when they tried to teach him the plays and the systems they were trying to run he refused to do any of it right but then you're like okay that's one guy what about hakeem okay Hakeem is usually considered a top 15 player ever he was drafted by the Rockets he won two championships with them so we know he's a great team member and a great leader but this season he was actually at his most unavailable in his entire career not because of injury he played all 50 games because it was a 50 game season but he was unavailable to the relationships he could have built with his teammates right So there was this weird season where Scotty and Charles, who used to get along all throughout the 90s, for some reason decided to start having beef both on the court and in the locker room and outside the locker room. They would trash talk each other in the media. Um, Back then there wasn't Twitter. So if you wanted to trash talk someone, you had to do it to a newspaper article or a journalist. And they would openly do that. And Hakeem, instead of getting in between the two and trying to build better relationships and be a mediator, decided, no, 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 that's not my role. I don't want that. Then there's Charles. Charles, by this point in his career, had earned the nickname the Round uh, Mound of Rebound because he would enter every season so out of shape, right? He knew what it took to be successful. He won MVPs, he made it deep into the playoffs, a uh, gold Olympic medalist in basketball, but one of the biggest critiques of his career is that he was unfaithful to the idea of winning championships. Okay. He didn't know how to go all the way, oh. and he wouldn't want to, yeah. right? He was unavailable, and that because he didn't take care of his body in the off-season, when the regular season came in, he was more prone to injury, which caused him to miss really crucial games. All this stuff just formed together, in a giant cauldron of failure. Because by the end of the season, they go into the playoffs, right? So they still had some success. They didn't win a championship. They got knocked out by Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, who was playing for the Lakers in round one. They played a four game series, they won one game. But why, right? They should have won, but oh well, We, we don't have to dwell on the past, we can move forward except scotty decided he wanted to trade so he left immediately after the season and charles and hakeem retired a couple years after and the rockets didn't make the playoffs until 2004. yeah it was dark it was a dark time (laughs) like it was a dark time it really was but there was this worst season that's worse than being in last place you take the best players in the league people that you have hoped for that will be successful. And by a year's end, you have to blow up your team and do a complete rebuild. If we're being honest, that sounds like a lot of small groups we've seen or experienced. So, why did this happen? Because the team, the coaches, the management, the owners, they were investing the right thing, time, money, energy, into the wrong players. Men that didn't want to be there, that didn't want to learn the systems and that didn't want to go for that common cause of winning. Right. So what's my point with that? Jesus had three years on earth to build his ministry and lay a foundation for his kingdom. He had to use it wisely. Now, he had more than just the 12 disciples, right? Like we see clear evidence of that when he goes out and commissions others in pairs of two. But there were 12 that he really focused on and poured into we are in a similar situation in that we have a limited time on our campus. Some of you guys who are going through LTC, it may be your freshman or sophomore year. That means you have three to two years to build small groups, not so that you can just have people in your group, but real believers, real disciples of Jesus that are gonna replace you and do the same thing. All right, now I wanna be clear about something. We are not the NBA like yeah it's crazy right chi alpha campus ministries not the nba Um, we are not in the business of competing we're not in the business of competing against each other or against other ministries on the campus we're in the business of making disciples so i don't want anyone to leave the room with this idea if you're a student that you're not worthy to be in small group i don't want you as a potential leader LTC'er, to think that um, it's jesus it's this way or the highway right, that you can't minister to other people who want to be in your small group, and I don't want you current leaders to uh, feel a level of doubt and unwarranted insecurity about what Jesus has called you to do. So second point I want to make clear, yes, Jesus loves everyone. John 3:16. for Jesus gave his, for he so loved the world that Jesus, for God so loved the world, they gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life Right So we know he did that Then we see again in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, sixteen through 20 Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go When they saw him they worshipped him But some doubted Then Jesus came to them and said All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore go and make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we see clearly he loves us unconditionally. He goes so far as to send Jesus to die for our sins, but also share that message with us, right? As other believers and as other Gentiles. But we're not talking about the unconditional love of God. We're talking about investment of Jesus into the other students on our campus. So when we study the Gospels, we're gonna see that Jesus evangelized everyone he met, but he did not invite everyone into a small group, okay? He conversed with potential followers, but he wasn't desperate to try to disciple them. So we're gonna go through three key verses in the Gospels where we see this very clearly. The first one involves the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 23. Again, that's going to be the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, 17 through 23. Who has that verse? All right, you got it, bro. Uh, Mark 10, uh, verse
2: 17 starts. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandment. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God?
0: Uh, No, that's good. Thank you so much, Austin. So there's this reoccurring trend when you read scripture where Jesus isn't afraid to debate and he isn't afraid to converse. But at some point, he does end up walking away from that conversation because he knows he's already presented truth. Notice how he didn't do that with this guy, right? He didn't necessarily correct him, but he did love him enough to address the idol in his life. And notice how after the rich young ruler simply walked away himself, Jesus didn't pursue after him. Jesus didn't keep uh, inviting him to be a disciple, encouraging him to give that thing up. He simply turned to his other disciples and explained what he was trying to talk about how we can't have anything else we're faithful to other than Jesus. So next is the men on the road. It's going to be Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Um, Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Who is that verse? All right, you got it.
1: no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritual dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let to say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said,
0: Each of these men had something. It was either an earthly comfort or it was an earthly relationship that made them unavailable for the tasks that Jesus was giving them. And Jesus didn't say, hey, totally understandable, could you do both? He said, follow me. He said, pursue after me. And each man didn't. Finally, we have Simon the Pharisee in Luke seven thirty-six through 47. Uh, Faith, you got that? It's going to be Luke 7, 36 through
1: 47. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment now the, when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would he would have known who and what sort of woman this this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will he will love him more? Simon answered the one i suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt and he said to him you have judged rightly then turning toward the woman he he said to Simon do you see this woman i entered your house you gave you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you gave me no kiss but from the time i came in She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but but he who is forgiven little loves little.
0: So Simon the Pharisee, this man who career-wise, if he's a Pharisee, decided to pursue after God, right? Yet here we see he would not accept God's teaching on acceptance. This made him unteachable to an eternal truth that Jesus was presenting to him in his own dining room. And it's like we say in Chi Alpha, we are responsible for what we know, right? Jesus presents us with eternal truth. We therefore become responsible for what we know. I wanted to take a different approach to this idea of faithful, available, teachable, in that instead of jumping in and showing you the right way to do it, we have to truly recognize what the wrong way to do it is and what the wrong examples of that look like, whether it's NBA players or the people that Jesus himself tried to minister to. So, with that being said, these examples go back to one of my original points, and it's that Jesus evangelized everyone he met, but he did not invite everyone to a small group. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus evangelized everyone he met, but he did not invite everyone into his small group. The 12 men that he chose to disciple weren't perfect by any means, right? We have, they had their flaws like we see later on, but they did have each of these virtues that Jesus valued. They were faithful in that they surrendered to his lordship, right? They recognized who he was. They were available because they dropped their vocations to follow him. Think of Peter, James, uh, John and Andrew in Matthew four, right? They dropped their nets, their very livelihoods to go pursue after him. And then they were teachable. They were willing to be his students and be corrected as much as he was willing to be their teacher. If someone wasn't all three, they did receive Jesus's evangelism. They didn't receive his discipleship. So that begs the question, what happens if we end up doing this, right? What happens if we try discipling someone who maybe deserves our evangelism, but not our discipleship? Speaking from personal experience, we begin to miss opportunities to share the gospel with the 20,000 other students on our campus in a more personal way, right? The other side of this is that students who aren't quite ready for small group begin receiving stuff they don't even want they begin wondering like all these things and some of them pick it up and some of them grow from that right but they begin to get attention they don't need whereas that core people in your small group who have each of these attributes are not being poured into and they're not being fed for a leader what this sometimes tends to lead to is people can be underdeveloped People can sometimes walk away for various reasons. And we end a school year wondering what we did wrong. We feel a huge amount of burnout. We think that we can't be small group leaders. We think our leaders, our company leaders, the staff of Chi Alpha were all wrong. We begin to doubt Jesus himself because we don't see that fruit. But all of these lies, because that's what they are, can be avoided if we focus on this idea of evangelizing those who need to be evangelized and discipling those who need to be discipled. So you keep hearing me say that, right? Some people deserve your evangelism, not everyone deserves your discipleship, but what am I talking about? How would I just find these things? So there's a guy, he's a former Sam Houston State alumni, and he currently works as the National Training Director for Chi Alpha. His name is Alex Rodriguez, right? He has this awesome quote that describes this head on. He says, evangelism is giving someone your minutes and your hours, while discipleship is giving someone your months and your years. This is what I'm saying. How often are we having guys that we wanna invite, or girls, that we wanna invite into full community with us, walking with Jesus, not just a small group, not just at Thursday night worship, but everywhere in between. And for one reason or another, they just don't quite want that. Or maybe they're not able to pursue that. And then we get bitter and frustrated, right? But what Alex is pointing out, and I think what Jesus himself points out, is that each of these disciples, the original 12, had all three of the traits. The Pharisee, the travelers on the road, the rich young rulers, they maybe had one or two. So for example, if someone's available, but they don't want anything to do with Jesus' teaching or, or what he has to say, then that person isn't worth your discipleship. That person is worth your evangelism. They're worth coffee once or twice a month. They're worth lunch on campus. They're worth, hey, I saw this thing you posted on your Snapchat or your Facebook about your family member. I'm praying with you. Do you want to meet up? Do you want to hang out? But The disciples were a little different. And we see a clear picture when we realize there was this core of the 12, Peter, James, and John. They're the disciples that Jesus had the most intimate relationship with because they wanted more of him, right? that's why they got to see the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17. So, If I meet someone who has one of these traits but not the others, I can and should maintain a relationship with them and pursue after them. I don't have to actively invite them and fight for them to come to small group and service. Right, I don't actively have to fight for them to be in my small group or to walk with Jesus with me. Because that's not fair to the men in my small group. That's not fair to the men in my company. And that's not fair to the 20,000 other students that might be more faithful, more available, and more teachable. So, summarize it. What's the difference between evangelism and discipleship? Oop, wrong one. (laughs) Did it get deleted? Oh no, the chart got deleted. Okay, it's okay, I'll post it up. It got deleted. So, think of two brackets, evangelism, discipleship. Evangelism is your high hanging fruit, right? So if you ever picked fruit from a tree, you know that the high hanging fruit are harder to get, you need more equipment, sometimes more tools. And it's just overall more difficult versus the low hanging fruit is usually what you go for first, because it's easier to do. It's like a warm-up when you're going out to harvest. The high hanging fruit, those who deserve that evangelism are the more reserved and the more cautious. The ones who are unsure about jesus and might be more rebellious to jesus and his teachings those who deserve discipleship they can be cautious or they can be receptive and open but if they're willing to wrestle with jesus and his teachings in a healthy way that's the difference where they become more willing and open to discipleship evangelism looks like spending once or twice a month together whereas discipleship looks like living life with a person inside and outside of small group and worship. Now evangelism, they deserve love. If you're evangelizing them, you better love them, otherwise we're gonna have an issue. But they're not ready for small group, and that's okay. Discipleship are the people who are deserving of your love and of being poured into directly from you, consistently from you. Examples of evangelism, Simon the Pharisee, the rich young ruler, that guy or girl in your classmate who, or that guy or girl in your class who you've invited to service or invited to small group and hasn't quite come around, but they're willing to grab coffee with you on campus and willing to hear you lead every conversation back to Jesus. The faithful, the available, teachable disciple looks like the person who not only wants to be at everything, but wants to be at everything outside of that. They wanna live life with you in a way that you wanna live life with them. So, I've given you some examples, but I wanna hear what you have to say. What are some things that we should look for in a person to determine their faithfulness, their availability, and their teachability, right? How do we help reveal those things in a person if we don't know anything about them? So, floor is open to you guys. Close the question again? You're good, bro. So, what are the things that we should look for in a person to determine? Ah, there it is. It just skipped. Anyway, so yeah, what are the things that we should look for in a person to determine their faithfulness, their availability, and their teachability, right? How do we determine How do we help reveal those things in a person? Imagine you're a small group leader, it's welcome week. You've hung out with this person at the big events, but there's a lot going on. So you're not quite sure, like their testimony, their background, their story, who they are. So it's week two, week three. How do we reveal those things in a person? Ooh, I like that one. Thank you, Jazz. If they ask good questions, right. Yeah. Um, not to sound like, it sounds cynical it's I'm not to sound cynical, but like in the most golly way, like the most test before them essentially, uh, see if like they're willing to, to sacrifice to like increase their relationship with you or with God. Yeah. Mm. So I can give an example. You want to give an example? Yeah, I would love that. Um, so if, like for instance, um, like if I'm going to get, you know, groceries from the grocery store, you know, like I'm doing something that's randomly just living life, not like a, a scheduled event on the calendar. Like I was a yeah. Hey bro, like, you want to like, stop doing homework and kind come of, like, to the orchestra real quick? You know, just like to see like if they're willing to say, oh, you know what, yeah, I want to hang out with you more. You know, that, that's like a little test that I kind of like put in front of them like, to see if they're willing to step further into relationship yeah. a Yeah, a simple hangout yeah. where it actually gives you guys times to talk. You invite them out, they respond, and it's a test of sorts. Well, I think mm-hmm. you guys are right, both of you. So an uh, example that comes to my head, and I can't believe I'm saying this. There is this really like low budget indie movie. It was only in a few select theaters. It was called Top Gun Maverick. You guys know what I'm talking about? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. I, I figured you're not you're not into that, Shay. Yeah. Now, in this movie, the US Navy recruits twelve of the best Navy fighter pilots uh, in the military. They go back to their academy, Top Gun, where Maverick, aka Tom Cruise, begins to prepare them and train them for a classified dangerous mission. Two of the candidates kind of stick out for different reasons. Um, He has all these different ways of testing them, not just in the classroom, but also out in the airfields where they're doing drills, doing simulations. And one of the guys, his call sign was Hangman. He is the cocky, uh, but also highly skilled fighter pilot stereotype okay and he goes out there and they're running a simulation of this dangerous mission him and two of his other teammates and he's killing it he's running the simulation well he has good time he's precise but he's not coordinating with his teammates he's not communicating so when they go back to the review room and maverick is going over all this footage with him he asks him why didn't you tell your teammates about the overpass coming up Why didn't you warn them about the missiles coming in? His response was they just couldn't keep up. Mm -hmm. Flip side of that coin, Rooster, right? Bradley, this guy is a skilled pilot, but he also suffers in the field. When he's out there, he's very hesitant. He gets cold feet. He doesn't always take the shots that he needs to take. And that's a constant theme throughout the movie is him not doing that and it's addressed while they're flying. It's addressed outside of the academy. It's addressed in the classroom. Both of these things are important. Some people will choose one over the other, but Maverick being, a, being an experienced pilot and knowing what it takes to not only survive, but get your teammates home, makes his choice. He chooses rooster over hangman because he knows that hangman isn't in it for the right reasons. He knows that if he's out in the field, he's gonna focus solely on the mission and not on his teammates, making him unteachable to one of the most important lessons of the movie, teamwork. So, students on our campus are not projects, they're not military program candidates, they're not fighter pilots, but you guys gave some pretty similar examples um, for like testing right inviting them out to the supermarket what are some other ways we can test our people to really see who they choose to be because that's what these tests do they reveal a person's character and even if they don't have that character naturally it shows whether or not are they choosing to be that person so what are some ways we can test them Can you say that a little bit louder for the people in the back?
2: Uh, yeah, you can give them responsibility.
0: Yeah. Do you have any in mind that you're thinking of? Uh,
2: there's, like, simple ones, like bringing snacks to small group or service or anything like that, or, like, carpooling, like, hey, can you go pick this person up? Um, or something a little bit larger, like, hey, can you come on campus with me and meet these students, or, like, do that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. All right, awesome. Austin, you were thinking of some stuff.
2: Oh, I was going to say ask them questions that might require them to be vulnerable.
0: Ooh. Asking for vulnerability. So why do you think that one?
2: Uh, If you're... If someone... I guess that sort of leads to... uh, Faithful and, like, teachable is if they're willing to like open up and be vulnerable to you, then you know that they're like, they're not just there cause they're bored, but they actually want to like develop that relationship.
0: Yeah, right on. So I think these are all great examples. Um, it's also hard because people come in at different places at different um, parts in their walk with Jesus. So in my mind, I know these things are good how do i give this i can't give this to every single person in my small group if i have six completely different people what do i do and we do things in degrees right we do things that might be different levels of difficulty so for example a really basic one is are they choosing to be a part of us knowing that we're chi alpha campus ministries chi alpha christian fellowship are they willing to be associated with us in any way Are they choosing to wear our t-shirts and our gear, right? That can show someone's faithfulness. It's super, it's very superficial, right? But it helps. So like I said, superficial, so let's take it a step further. If we have a missionary visiting our small groups, our company meetings, or even our services, um, does that student not only intentionally go and intentionally hang out, but do they wanna ask questions? either to the missionary, to us, do they wanna understand more about what Jesus has in his heart for the nations? That reveals a lot about a person's character and their humility. Um, When we mention that what we're reading or what we're listening to, or we give a recommendation to someone, right? Are they reading it soon after? So a good example is a dear brother of mine who some of you know, his name is Carson, right? Carson started walking with Jesus last April and when he and I sat down it was the last week of school that May I was like so man like it's your first summer walking with Jesus Right, you're not going to be in Christian community. It's going to be you back home Um, You're going to be vulnerable to like old stuff. What are you going to do differently? He's like man, you keep talking about the book of John. Why? and he was like, "Well, dude, Book of John reveals God's love for others, and we see that laid out so clearly through the book, and it's such a crucial thing for us as young believers to understand." He's like, "Okay, I'm going to read that." Nice. I was like, "Bet." And he's like, "I also need to like get a hold of my prayer life. What do I read?" Let me tell you about Practice of the Presence by Brother Lawrence. Right? And not only that, he did take those books that I gave him. He also texted me throughout the summer, telling me about what he's learning and what he's experiencing, right? And his first walk with Jesus. I miss him. I really do. Now, these things are great, but they're not a strike in your out scenario. Okay. Um, if they don't do this, that's fine. It was never a guarantee. But if they're consistently not doing these things, and it gets to be. February, March, April of the next semester, maybe it's time to invest time in a different person. This though, is the most important uh, indicator, I think, above the others, because it's like the foundation. Are they consistently going to small groups, attending worship, and building real relationships with you and the other men and women in your small group? That's easy to do if they're the only, if it's the only thing they want to do. So if they're, are they giving up stuff? Could they be on the volleyball team? But instead they're choosing to be in your small group. Could they be going to play D and D for four hours? But instead they're like, no, I want to be with my brothers. I want to be with my sisters. So are they giving other things up to be with us? These are notable sacrifices that can show someone's faithfulness. Um, Austin, earlier you talked about teachability with like being vulnerable. Um, If we talk about anything regarding Jesus and we ask for an application, right? So most common example is it's service. Sam Pitt just dropped a fire sermon, like Holy Spirit was moving through the room, right? And we turn to our small group guys and girls and we're like, what do you think? And they're like, that was good. (laughs) it is the worst that's the worst response because it shows they didn't listen but if we begin asking specific questions that require a real application right Um, man what do you think Jesus is asking you to give up like what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you Hey, last week Sam Pitt talked about like the heavenly realm in Ephesians. Man, how can we attain what Jesus wants for us? When we talk about sin, what do they do about it? Do they debate us? That's normal. But do they really try to wrestle with that in a healthy way? Or would they rather just, meh, respond with apathy? The point with this is, what circumstances can we create to see who a person chooses to be? I'm going to say that question again. What circumstances can we create to see who a person chooses to be? So, all this stuff that is being revealed in this lesson, the question came up in my mind why does a small group leader overcommit to people who aren't faithful, available, and teachable? instead focusing on those who are, right? Why do they pour on all the plants instead of focusing on the ones that need it the most? And a common one is this, there's a belief that everyone needs equal attention and that having some people are better than no people in small group. Not everyone needs the same level of attention. Those who are faithful and available and teachable do, um, and those that aren't showing up with those traits don't. They need your evangelism and your friendship and your love, but they don't need to be poured into in the same way. The other side of that is some people prefer maintaining this imaginary quota of I need five people in small group, I need six people in small group, I need 12 people in small group. Once I hit that number, I'm good. Contact table, never heard of it. (laughs) Meeting new students, meh, spring welcome week, no idea that was a thing it's easier to maintain the status quo than it is to make progress the thing is obtaining progress is harder but it's worth so much more the difference is it's going to come with a heavier cost earlier I mentioned the Houston Rockets right and how they're the worst. everyone's like oh no not the Rockets again Uh, how they're the worst team in the league right I also realized two days ago, because Massa and I were in the car, I was dropping her off from work, and I got a notification on my phone. Um, We do have something going for us. So the NBA is so saturated with talent that even the worst teams in the league have some of the best talent in the world, right? Really healthy, talented young players. Um, And in the case of the Rockets, yeah, we're terrible, but we have a lot of young guys that we can build around to where they can be future All-Stars. They can be Hall of Famers so the NBA to address all this talent because people weren't getting voted in as all-stars that really should have been voted in for something they started the rising stars it's not a participation award it very much is because the league has so much talent and skill in it so Alperin uh, Shingen he is a Turkish player on the right Um, we drafted him first First round pick number five, I think, this last season. Jalen Green, uh, first pick or first round, second pick overall, uh, last year. Jabari Smith Jr., first pick, first round, third pick this year. Each of these guys got selected to the Rising Stars game because each of these guys are recognized as young, talented players, and they, the league, the coaches, management, owners, players, even fans know that they have a really high chance to be that next generation. So, the Rockets are doing something right if they're rebuilding around them. Like I said earlier, we're not the NBA, but what if we took a similar approach? When it came to the way that we began making disciples and we began evangelizing students on our campus, guys, it's only February 2nd. There's a whole semester, a whole summer, and then the next school year we can take active steps right now to begin building and rebuilding small groups. I'm not talking about kicking people out. Don't, don't take that as a lesson. Uh, I did not say that. I am saying, let's do something differently. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So what's the first step? Ian Bounds has this awesome quote called every move of the spirit of God has had its source in the prayer chamber. Yeah. Step number one, Have you prayed? Over this last summer, Jason Bell sent out a video message to all small group leaders, students and staff, encouraging us to begin actively praying for the next generation of students to come in. Um, That prayer was, I think, sent out in June. So June, July, part of August, two or three months ahead (laughs) of time. Your small group leaders prayed for you two or three months ahead of time and you're here. What if we did that now? Seven months until August? We've seen this next generation of students how Jesus gave them to us, right? In three months. What is he gonna do with seven? Come on. So let's pray about our next generation coming in now. Are you faithful, available, and teachable in your walk with Jesus, or are you missing something? Yeah, I know it's funny. I didn't wanna I didn't wanna overwhelm it, so you're good. Are you willing to prayerfully work that out? Are you faithful to small group and worship? Are you faithful directly to Jesus? Are you available for things? Are you actually teachable or is your small group leader simply asking questions turning into blown up arguments because you don't want to talk about it? Are you willing to go to the prayer closet and address those issues? Because it's not just a behavior change, right? It's a heart change. Do you allow an authority figure to guide you on what you're doing wrong? This is for the leaders and LTCers in the room. Is there a spiritual authority figure you trust to help you grow? Could be a small group leader, could be a company leader, could be someone that you know in your company that has been walking with Jesus for a long time and frankly knows a lot more about making disciples than you do. Have you trusted them enough to go to them and say, What am I doing wrong? Or what do I need to do differently? Leaders, current leaders, are you seeing these things that I'm talking about? Are you suffering from burnout? Do you need to go back to the Lord and evaluate what needs to be changed? It's easy to say, I've done this for two years. I know what I'm doing. Nothing needs to be tweaked for my senior year. It's harder to say, I may have made a few mistakes. It's time to go back to the Lord and go back to the drawing board. lastly resources um, a lot of this uh, lesson was heavily inspired by an episode in the small group leader podcast they've been doing it for a couple of years now um, a lot of the things i've learned in that series has made me a better disciple i'm going to send links to the staff leaders in the room and i would love it if you just sent these out to your people as well youth of Flame by winky prattney I, w- I kept hearing about uh, Youth of Flame for years, and over winter break, I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. Chapter one, I was like, dang, I know nothing about making disciples. Yeah. <laughs> Winky knows everything. So, and chapter one really helped me lay out a foundation for how I was going to pour into my guys into this next semester. Um, another book, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert E. Coleman. Um, this book was gifted to me by Zach Campbell for my birthday a couple years ago and I am so thankful he gave me that because I really needed it and this kind of highlights what we've been talking about evangelism versus discipleship but it focuses on both yeah. right? and it teaches us how to engage in both last but not least discipleship by design D by D by Harvey Herman if you're an LTCer you're going to be reading this don't treat this like a course no. yeah. this is not your art appreciation class <laughs> like seriously if you treat this if you treat it with a seriousness and a reverence you're going to learn and grow from it so altogether, i just want to clarify we don't want to give up on anyone on yeah. our campus right that's not the point the point is that jesus let the rich young ruler walk away we don't know the extent of that. We don't know if the rich young ruler eventually turned to Jesus. We don't know if Jesus uh, had an interaction with him later on in life. Yeah. doesn't mean that he didn't pray for him. It doesn't mean they didn't love him. It means that he knew that like us, he had a limited amount of time to build the kingdom of God, specifically where he was. And he chose to use it wisely. Yeah. So the goal is not five people in a small group. The goal is, is faithful, available, teachable disciples of Jesus who are gonna make disciples, who make disciples all the way until Jesus comes back. The cost for that is gonna be discipline, time, and lots of prayer. So let's not be discouraged by this, right? This isn't a you're a terrible small group leader lesson. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But let's be encouraged that we have areas we can check and improve on. So, and then we can move forward. So, that was a lot that I um, talked about. Does anyone have questions about what we talked about? (laughs) Cool. yeah.
2: Were there ways that you saw in yourself that you were either unfaithful, unavailable, or unteachable, and how did you come to terms with it?
0: So, if you've known me since I got here, uh, I always had a struggle with authority. Zach's like, oh man, finally someone's talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I have, I've always struggled with, uh, with authority. Um, and it wasn't until my second year small group leading that I realized that, right? I wondered why I had rebellious guys in my small group and it's because I was an actively rebellious guy. <laughs> So I actively had to go directly to the Lord, um, and he told me in one way or another to actively go to the men I need to be, uh, have authority over me. So that turned out to be, Zach got more authority through that, praise Jesus for that, uh, Colin Weezer, right, these other men um, in my life who poured into me and made me a better discipler. Um, Another big reason was availability in terms of relationships. My first year as a leader, I had very shallow relationships. I realized the moment I went through LTC, because we were five groups, and there was about 20 people um, in my LTC class. I looked around, I knew two of them. It's because I wasn't going to any of the events, and I wasn't hanging out with the students. And I wasn't hanging out with people that are supposed to be my brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. So... Those two areas specifically, am I building real relationships that are pointing back to Jesus or am I just kind of hanging out at worship and then being like, okay, I'm going to Keynes and going to bed? So yeah, that was a good question. Thank you, Shay. Anyone else? Yeah. Uh,
2: From a student perspective, what's a good, like, I guess, checklist we could have for ourselves like an internal audit what are some things some questions we could ask ourselves I know you mentioned
0: them no no don't worry bro I got I, could we go back to that? yes we can I'm glad you brought that up so uh, yes okay there we go so looking at this because I thought a lot about this and I think if we had 10 missionaries in the room um, they could probably give 10 examples and a lot of them be different but for the four, these four I felt were the most prevalent because I knew there were going to be different people in the room, like LTCers, staff and student leaders, normal small group folk. Um, so yeah, do you have any? Does, do you or does anyone else have questions about these? <laughs> Zoe, I, I kind of saw you do this. Was that you raised in your hand or were, yeah? No, I wasn't my glasses. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I had to make sure. I had to make sure. So yeah, feel free to take pictures of this. Um, If you guys have any other questions and it's the middle of the week and you don't know how to contact me, that's cool. You can go to your leaders and your company leaders because chances are they know more than I do. Actually, they definitely know more than I do. So yeah, love you guys, thank y'all.